Hello and welcome inside the Locked On Senators podcast. I'm Brandon Piller, joined by Ross Levitan, who is our international correspondent out in L.A. We break down the Mark Stone's return to Ottawa, the goalie hierarchy has a shift in the franchise, and Belleville has had some hot rookies lately. All that and more. This is the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day. Well, Ross, lots going on in the world of the Ottawa Senators, but first off, we got to get to the fact that uh, you're way out in the West Coast, coast out in L.A. How's that going for you? And you enjoying some nice sunny weather as opposed to the absolute gong show of a winter we're having here back in Ontario? Yeah, just as an aside, if you're in the middle of summer, you know, at least for me, I'm able to make a bit more money serving in the summer. You just know how depressing the middle winter is in Canada. Do yourself a favor and book a trip early ahead, and then there's always that something to look forward to. So, yeah, enjoy myself. Last day here in L.A., and then I'm getting back on a plane going north, going to go to Portland and then drive up to, to Whistler is the ultimate destination for, for a couple days of skiing. But I was following along last night, and obviously it's another game where the Sens welcome back a former star. And when is this going to get old? I mean, with especially the last couple of years with guys uh... – key guys in the franchise leaving the organization, coming, returning to Ottawa. But, I mean, Mark Stone was really one of the ones that meant the most to this organization and the fans. So this was pretty emotional for Ottawa and especially uh, one Ottawa senator in particular in Brady Kachuk. Yeah, of course. He's still, uh, we found out yesterday, he's actually still renting Mark Stone's house for him. So now, now, although they're not roommates anymore, still uh, the landlord there. But Mark Stone, what can you say about him? This was the one that really, I think, broke Sens fans' hearts even more than Eric Carlson. Just with, you know, on and off the ice, just a born leader. But he also, with Carlson, you knew the writing was kind of on the wall for almost a year leading up to his his actual departure. But with Mark Stone, there was the very public, probably too public contract negotiation that every day there was an update. You're looking at TSN, going to insider trading, and... Uh, it seemed like it was so close, but ultimately so far and never materialized. Unlike the Carlson trade where it's a big haul with, with this one, it, it's all on Eric Branstrom. And that's a lot of pressure for the kid. Um, as you saw, the, the tribute video was awesome. The Sens content team, of course, just knocked that one out of the park. Uh, it sucks that, that it's somewhere in a top 10 over the last year. It seems like uh, we get too many of those. And also, since we last recorded Zach Smith, another uh, fan favorite, actually the senator we talked about uh, at the end of 2019 that played the most games as a senator in the last decade. So, you know, a pretty emotional week uh, if you're an Ottawa Senators fan. And then uh, the uh, silver lining, Pilsy, is if you're a fan of the tank, they've uh, extended their winless streak nine games. Yeah, it's ridiculous, this winless streak. I mean, only the Detroit Red Wings are tanking better, which is kind of ironic because they beat the Sens in uh, in a 2-1 overtime, so kind of ruining their tank plan there. But, yeah, I thought it was funny that Kachuk is still living in that house that they used to live at, and I thought it was even more funny that his parents came over and uh, cooked dinner for the two of them, so that's just hilarious. I think sometimes you forget how young uh, Brady Kachuk is. So it's good that his parents probably cleaned up a bit and uh, made a nice meal for his guest, Mark Stone, coming to 
back to his own home in Ottawa. So that's hilarious. And I, I always think when those two uh, are brought up as roommates, that classic quote by Brady Kachuk saying he's paying his landlord's rent with his fists when he was referring to when he got in a fight in Detroit to stick up for a stone. So his, his first ever fight. Yeah, first ever fight. And I mean, if that's how it's going to happen, you got to love uh, a guy sticking up for a teammate, especially his landlord. So it, the, it was Jonathan Erickson, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Right behind the net. Yeah. And um, kid. yeah, so definitely you got to stick taps to Brady for doing that in. And that was fairly early into his career, too, if I'm not mistaken. I don't even think he had played 10 games yet or something. So. Brady Kachuk, he's always been a gamer, uh, even since his rookie year. And it's tough, too, because Mark Stone had so much value to this franchise, and it's more than just the stuff on the ice. And both Stone and Kachuk talked about it pre- and post-game, how much uh, they kind of fed off each other. And it's really disappointing. Think of the mentoring that uh, Brady Kachuk could have received from a guy like Mark Stone if he had stayed and things had worked out in Ottawa and he had signed an extension rather than going to Vegas. Those two would have been quite the pair going on in the future, eh? Well, not only those two, but you look at the regression in Colin White's offensive game. He was a third member of that line for most of last season, and he's taking it just as much. Brady's a self-starter. He's top five pick. You know what that he's going to be able to. Sure, it's a nice story with him and Mark Stone, but I think you put Brady Kachuk on left wing with almost any right winger in the league. They'll find chemistry, of course. Stone's quality of, of getting the puck off and off other players' sticks defensively is is a huge help for Brady, who's more of like a separate with the puck with the body kind of guy. But I, I wouldn't worry too much about Brady with, with uh, anybody on that right wing, whereas Colin White, I think the fact that um, that Stone was able to get him pucks, it, it really, really helped to maybe even uh, add a few uh, extra, maybe not millions, but some extra hundred thousands of dollars to uh, that six-year deal that Colin White uh, ultimately received. Although I should say Colin White did have a really good game last night. One of few senators to really kind of show his stuff. Con- Connor Brown to um, stick taps to him for uh, he's got four points his last two games I think, and he's uh, yeah he's looking good. But you just knew that Mark Stone was going to come and play as well. He gets an assist on the first shift of the game. Nice little give and go, smart hockey and. You don't think he knows the scouting report on Craig Anderson beating him with a wraparound uh, later on in in the uh, late in the second period? That game though, it was it was never close. What were the shot attempts like? Thirty five ten, I think, after two periods. Vegas just dominated uh, right from the get go. Like you said, I'm pretty sure the first goal was thirty four seconds in or something like that. With Stone, of course, setting up Stastny and. I don't know about you, Ross, but I was pretty damn sure that Mark Stone was going to score in this game, won a couple shekels off that bet. So that was nice because, look, you're this is a guy coming back to Ottawa for the first time in his career, and you got a new coach in Pete DeBoer who's coaching his very first game as a member of the Vegas Golden Knights. And just, like, Hollywood couldn't have scripted this any better. Pete DeBoer, the coach of the San Jose Sharks, the most bitter rival of this young NHL franchise in the Vegas Golden Knights, is replacing Gerard Gallant in Vegas. What was your reaction to that, Ross? Like, just this has got to be, I think, out of all the coaching firings this year, this is the weirdest one. Yeah, and where he ends up, of course, fill, filling in even more so. Mark Stone, during the second intermission, had a great quote. He said that DeBoer came in the locker room. He said, well, this might be awkward. And then Stone goes, yeah, and it uh, kind of was. 
But that's just hockey. And it's the same as like when Dion Phaneuf got traded to Ottawa. Once you get in the locker room and and for that situation, Chris Neal goes up and, you know, they've had so many battles over the years. And once that's kind of buried the hatchet, it's it's all good. They're your teammates as long as you're wearing the same color uh, on the ice at practice. And then uh, and then behind the bench during a game, you know, he's he's their coach now and as weird as it is, I think it's a very good fit. And talk about an upgrade on teams. I mean, it's, it must have been weird uh, having DeBoer beat Ottawa after how much he's helped them out this year with all the losses that piled up in San Jose under his watch. So, um, yeah, definitely weird in the short term. But long term, I think it's a smart hire. Um, however, I think it was kind of wrong that they fired Gallant in the first place. That's a coach who's going to land on his feet uh, sooner than later. Yeah, just a weird situation. I mean, they had been, I think, on a three-game losing streak, but they were just a couple points away from being in first place in their division. And it seemed like the yeah, team was that playing all right. Is, uh, Definitely, but I mean, it's not like they were out of really a playoff spot. No, that's fair, but I don't know. I, I'm not sure why I'm standing up for the fire. I, I completely disagree with it. I think it's probably yeah. out of all the coaches this year. Uh, that have that have lost their jobs. It's the uh, least um, acceptable, I'll say. Yeah, and uh, staying on DeBoer, I think uh, Stone's quote before was uh, a couple days ago. I wouldn't have had a single nice word to say about him, and now he's my coach. So yeah, going on about that awkwardness. But with Mark Stone and your uh, Ottawa Senators encyclopedia, Ross. So I figured we'd t- go back at some of our favorite Stone memories. Uh, I'm going to start with mine just so you don't take it because I'm sure you have about seven in the in the back of your head ready to go. And my favorite stone memory is his very first NHL point. And I don't even think I have to quiz you, but I'm sure you know the jersey number he was wearing in that game. Yep, number 60. Yep, yep. Is, was that the only game he had worn that number? Did he have 61 next yeah, year or ever. not yet? Wow. No, he had... I want to say he had number 16 next year when he got called up for a little bit. And then when Clark MacArthur signed after the 2013-14 season, then MacArthur got 16 and Stone changed to uh, 61. Did the old number swap. Yeah, we'll have to fact check that, but I trust your memory on that one. You're usually pretty good with that. So, yeah, the Stone memory back in 2012 is the very first NHL point in the playoffs versus the New York Rangers, nonetheless, he was playing in Brandon in the WHL and 123 points in 66 games. Not a big deal. And that saucer pass to Jason Spezza was a thing of beauty. He hits him in stride. Spezza buries it. And the Sens, this was a fact that I kind of forgot about. That was the first time they had a lead all series, despite it was a game five uh, game. So they had won two games in overtime, but they never had the lead uh, before that. So I just remember that moment and being like, this Mark Stone kid, he's pretty good. Like, I didn't even know much about him. Good World Juniors there. We had seven goals in seven games. Yeah, yeah. But I wasn't expecting him to be uh, called up and to get a, a crucial point in his very first game in playoff hockey uh, as his first NHL game. So it was from that moment, I think we all knew we could expect uh, pretty exceptional things from Mark Stone, and he proved us right. Uh, so, Ross, what's uh, what's your favorite Mark Stone memory over the years? Well, before I even get to that, you want to hear something even crazier, is that he was a healthy scratch in the following game. You mentioned that that assist was in Game 5. Well, the prize possession that everyone was really waiting for to finish their season was Jakob Silverberg. And Silverberg 
came over, but not in time for game five. So Stone, who is, I think, more just called up to watch. He ends up getting in. He gets the assist. But then they pull him out of the lineup. In goes Silverberg. And, um, I mean, that series, I, I still go back to that Nick Felino. There's a goalie interference call that kind of swung the whole thing in, in game six. But I digress. My favorite marks. Like I said, a Sens encyclopedia. Well, just like the that Felino goalie interference game, I was in the crowd. That one with my dad. I the, the next one that I'm going to mention, my favorite Stone memory. I was also in the crowd. Was maybe the the most impressive part. If I I had to stutter because um, it was the Hamburglar run, and all of it was impressive. But this one, I think even more so. They're playing the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, Sidney Crosby scores 10 seconds into the game. They let, they let in three goals in the first period. They're down 3 nothing, And I'm like, oh, my God, this game of the Hamburglar run that I'm seeing, am I the jinx? And then it's 3-1. And then it's 3-2. And then Mark Stone ties it up near the end of the game. It was an unbelievable play. And then goes into overtime, skate, stick, goal. Mark Stone wins it. So he has the two goals in that game. And that was during the, that whole stretch where he should have won the Calder Trophy. He was in the second half of the year, he was second in the National Hockey League in points. That's as a 21-year-old rookie. Um, now, albeit Johnny Goudreau had an unbelievable season there too. He also lost because of the classic, oh, an 18-year-old defenseman played a, a full season while Aaron Ekblad's team didn't even make the playoffs. So that's just a, a whole other conversation. Alfie even had that tweet. And this was after Alfie retired. Alfie goes, if Stone doesn't win the Calder, I'll just give him mine. So it was, uh, you know, high praise from the Sens legend. And really, I think if you talk to Sens fans out of like who the best all around players are, at least at the right wing position, I think it goes Alfie and then Mark Stone in this franchise history. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. Hard to argue that, that's for sure. Two legendary players, and it would have been great if both those guys could have got a Calder Trophy. But it was great seeing Mark Stone back in Ottawa, and even though he was scoring against the Sens, that that Selly after he scored the wraparound goal just put a smile on my face because that's just classic Mark Stone. So you got to love seeing that. But anyways, there's lots going on with current Ottawa Senators, and uh, it's been a while since our last recording, so lots to catch up on. Ross, there's been a bit of a change in the hierarchy in the Ottawa Senators franchise uh, goaltending uh, pyramid, as we saw Marcus Hogberg got back-to-back starts against Detroit and Montreal. Parley and I talked about this. Yeah, well, yeah. Exactly. So he got three straight starts, but the back-to-back in Detroit and Montreal or against Detroit and Montreal was really a shock for me. Uh, Parley and I talked about it the episode before. I really didn't think uh, DJ Smith was going to go for it. I thought he'd throw Andy in for one of those games, but he's making quite a statement with that move. What are your thoughts on what's going on in the crease? I was surprised. I think it's so rare these days for a, for a coach to go to the same goalie on back-to-back nights. I don't think the analytics supports it. Um, but if you just saw the way that, that Hogberg played, how, how could you not go back to him? He was the only reason in Detroit that that game extended into a shootout. And uh, I know Anderson's had his successes against Montreal, but you just had to ride the hot hand. It, it shows that DJ Smith's serious when he says that whichever goalie's going, that's the goalie that's going to play. 
that's the mentality you have to have. I mean, you can't have entitlement in the locker room and guys who are uh, older, more seniority, just expecting that they're going to get the starts no matter what. So I like this message that DJ Smith is sending. And I tend to agree with you. I don't think it's a great idea to have a goalie starting back-to-back starts, especially a guy like Marcus Hogberg, who really only has 14 NHL games under his career belt. So that's maybe something he's not going to do too often, especially when Anders Nielsen comes back into the mix. But really, it's it's a good message to send for the entire team. And Marcus Hogberg, he deserves to get the starts that he's getting because even in those back-to-back starts against Detroit and Montreal, he only let in two goals and both those games went to overtime and could have easily swung another way. And he's just getting snake-bitten with these games. Eh? I think he only has one win this year and a bunch of overtime losses. Tough to see that for a young goalie, but it seems like his confidence is still staying up, eh? Yeah, well, as a goalie, you know that you're when you're on a bad team, you're going to get more shots, and I think long term it can it can benefit you. But in the short term, you just have to kind of ignore the the wins and losses. You got to kind of take what you can, and and that's just take each shot, next one up, and and try to stop as many as possible. Really simplify the game. Uh, he's getting a lot of valuable experience. I think that his two seasons down in Belleville, you know, that that's kind of enough. There's other guys now who can use that playing time. Decord and, and Gustafson really need it, I think, more than than Hogberg. Hogberg's fine with me if he stays the rest of the year in the National Hockey League. Uh, six of seven in, in uh, that stretch there leading up to the, the loss to Vegas. He got, a, an over, got the team to overtime. Uh, and a lot of those games, they didn't deserve to get there. Um, this is a team that's really, really struggling now with the regression. And I believe that Anthony Duclair is playing uh, injured with something. He hasn't been at a couple practices recently and uh, he blocked a shot, I think, a week and a half ago. I don't know if he's been right since then. But without his kind of unsustainable offensive success that we saw earlier in the season, this is a, a very bad hockey team. It's it's a rebuilding team. I think uh, there's no it's hiding that. It's a very that. bad hockey team. Yeah. Very I, bad. And, I mean, that's that comes with the plan that Ottawa Senators are on. And speaking Pierre Dorian, obviously, he needs to have some sort of plan with what's going on in the crease. And I like what you said about... Um, Decord and Gustafson. It may not seem like a big deal, but these guys both deserve AHL starts. I don't think uh, you can really justify sending either one of them back to Brampton. Even before, we talked about maybe it'd be a good move for Gustafson, but he's played really well uh, recently, so I don't think that makes sense. And now you have to take a look. Is it possible that Craig Anderson, the guy who is a leader in almost every goalie franchise category for the Ottawa Senators, is it time that he might be moved? And if so, is there even really a market for Andy? Um, I think there's a market as long as that half his contract is held on to for the rest of the year, which shouldn't be a problem for Ottawa um, in terms of, of helping another team fit him more into their salary structure, a team that's going to be closer against the cap. The real question is, is it going to be a third-round pick or a fifth-round pick, right? Like, there, there's not there's not much value, but at the same time, there's more value internally for Ottawa to not have him blocking a spot for one of their other goalies. So, um, yeah, it sucks to say because he's been such an important part of this team. Probably the player of the decade overall for the Ottawa Senators, the, the yeah. MVP of the decade. You could um, argue. Definitely. I, I think he'd be my number one because 
especially that Hamburglar year. Like his playoffs was so ridiculous. Uh, it was just too bad that they spotted uh, Montreal that two game lead. But you had to with the way Hammond got them in the playoffs, they kind of had to stick with them. But every time that he would more than shop, he was just you know the backbone of this organization. But yeah, it's, I'd say it's time to move on. And I think Andy would be happy. Uh, to get another chance at a Stanley Cup. He's, he's 38 years old and, and not getting any younger. So I think it could be a win-win, but if you're a Sens fan, don't expect any sort of real value um, coming back the other way. Yeah, and I think uh, looking at Cap Friendly, Andy does have a 10-team no-trade clause, so he does have some control over where he goes, which is good. A guy like that who's given the time to this team deserves <laughs> something like that. And um, if also on cap friendly, it's just the way things are shaping out. Nielsen and Hogberg both have another year after this and Andy's contract is up. So it's inevitable that he should be moved. And I think if he does get moved, I don't know how much value there is to him. But I think if you're the Sens, you're looking to replace the fourth and fifth pick you've traded away in next year's draft, uh, the 2021 draft, uh, just to kind of replace those and get those draft picks stocked up. Uh, I thought it was funny, too, uh, speaking about Hogberg, uh, Dorian said uh, they think that he was one of the best AHL goalies uh, when he was down there. And he blamed the Belleville shot counters that they didn't uh, count his shots well enough. And Hogberg's <laughs> save percentage would be much higher if the people in Belleville would pay attention instead of just watching the game. So I thought that was that was pretty funny, sh- throwing a shade at uh, the AHL shot counters in Belleville uh, Pierre Dorian not too happy about that but something is happy about finally Ross we have a healthy decor as Ottawa Senators and it's kind of sad to say that this is a good decor but it's just the fact that they're each player in there is actually an NHL player uh, what do you think of this decor now that it's fully kind of pieced together well, I don't think that there's six NHL defensemen on the team, so uh, I guess I can start with that. But I think the most important um, progression of this decor in the past week is that Christian Willannon has returned full-time to practice, still wearing his, uh, as he will tell you, North Dakota green, uh, his color yeah. of choice for his non-contact jersey. But uh, him being back in the fold is much more important than Zaitsev uh, being back. And even DeMello, even though DeMello is an NHL defenseman. Uh, Mike Riley, not impressed with him. I don't think he's uh, he's got it. Uh, it'll be a real shame if he's the reason why Boro is not back next year. If they don't want to pay the like likewise salary, the, the six defensemen who, who are asking for more than a million dollars, Mike Riley already locked in at 1.5 next year. Um, yeah, if Willannon gets back and that pushes Riley down to a seventh defenseman, then I'll be starting to uh, to be a little more impressed, although it uh, wouldn't surprise me as well if Willannon just plays the rest of the year down in Belleville too. Uh, I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be really something that uh, that'll be updated as as things progress, but if you're asking me if I'm confident now that these six defensemen are there, that their their winless streak won't reach 10 against Calgary, then I can't do that for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's a, it's enough to really uh, change their fortunes and uh, snap this win streak either. But it's just nice not having to see guys like England and Golubov getting absolutely shelled out there on a first pairing and spending 20 uh, or even 15 minutes a night on the ice. But 
I agree with you. I don't think uh, Riley is really an amazing defenseman. I mean, I think he does have potentially. He's he seemed really confident offensively, and I've liked what I've seen from him when he does have the puck. He's had a couple blunders defensively, but offensively, I think he's uh, pretty steady. And I think he would make a good bottom pairing defenseman or even like you said, a guy who's going to be your seventh guy. And then you bump Golabev down uh, back to the AHL. I think that would work nicely. But I think the biggest thing, uh, Ross, is Shabbat finally, oh my God, this guy finally catches a break. For the first time in 12 games, he played less than 27 minutes. He played uh, about 24 minutes last night against Vegas. So that's a much-deserved break for a young defenseman who is getting worked way too hard. Yeah, I think that Shabbat uh, should really treat himself here on this bye week because he must be exhausted day after day, just crunching. And they're not only a lot of minutes, he's playing difficult. Minutes, so you know this is just a, another step in his development. Being able to to see how much he can, I guess, take uh, punishment wise, and I think at the start of that stretch, it was really impacting his offensive game. He was more trying to, I don't want to say survive because he is still a really confident player, um, but he was always trying to make the the simple play just to conserve energy and and do that. So I like he's at his best when he's explosive, and I think that playing a little bit less gives him much more of an opportunity to be that kind of player. Well, speaking of explosiveness, Ross, down in Bell Vegas, boy, have we had some explosive rookies in the AHL. I'm talking, of course, about Josh Norris and Alex Formanton. Norris, a 13-game point streak. This kid just cannot stop. What have you liked most about Norris uh, during this point streak, Ross? The, the consistency of it. How can you not? Uh, I always go back to the how he, he didn't get a single point in his first four games, and now it seems like he never goes more than two games without a point. Everything that a coach wants in a player, that, that's him. He, he's a two-way guy. He's responsible in his own end. He's a shoot-first type center, but he's still good at passing the puck as well. How about that passing play with Logan Brown, Eric Brandstrom, Alex Formanton, and then Josh Norris finishes off the play. Um, Sense Prospects posted the video. It's absolutely gorgeous. A little spinorama pass by Logan Brown, too. Um, but, yeah, love everything about Josh Norris's game. Um, the way he controls the boards on the half wall, especially in the power play on his one-timer side. There's really just so much to, to really kind of be excited about if you're the, the Senators. And if Pajot does ultimately get moved, which uh, he sat out last game, but... I think the the initial everyone was like, oh, is the trade imminent? Well, no, it seems like there was an upper body injury. So he wasn't at practice uh, today on uh, on Friday either. So it's just something that we're going to have to keep monitoring. But if he does end up moving, I would love to see Josh Norris get an opportunity to play with Brady Kachuk, his best buddy, and Duclair. I think that the three of them would just make some magic out on the ice. Yeah, it'd be interesting for sure. I'm I'm not sure if I'm quite uh, stoked on seeing Norris be called up yet. I think it'd be nice for him just to focus on being in Belleville in the playoff push. But you mentioned uh, buddies of Brady Kachuk. We saw a former buddy of Brady Kachuk in Mark Stone, who left the organization, come back. And yeah, it's great that Norris, a, a friend of Brady Kachuk, is doing well in Belleville. If I'm Pierre Dorian, I'm just... I'm just recruiting any friends of Brady Kachuk because they seem to be all-around good people and seem to fit well in the Ottawa Senators system. And speaking of the next 
AHL rookie who's lighting up Alex Formanton, 10 points in seven games in 2020. And I think for the New Year's resolution for Josh Norris and Alex Formington, it was get pucks on net. I was looking at their shots per game in those seven games in the new year. Norris is uh, has 27 shots in seven games, and Formington has 30 shots in seven games. Holy. And these guys are just putting the puck on net, Ross. And uh, don't forget, Formington, he had that hattie against Rochester, a division rival. So these two are showing that they're ready to put this team on their shoulders. And it's crazy that they're going to get even more help uh, probably uh, along the way as trade deadline comes. Yeah, I mean, those numbers that you just said are outstanding. Something to notice, note about Formington, too, his third goal in that hat-trick was an empty netter. He scores a ton of empty net goals. And some people might say, that's not good. Like, there's no goalie. Hey, it means two things. It means your coach is wanting you on the ice late in games that are close, so high, tense moments. And two, in those moments, how often is it that the team with the pulled goalie has the puck? So it means that you're aware enough defensively that you can pick that off. And then I should say it has three things. The third thing is that you have enough speed to break away yeah. because when you have six players on the ice, you can you can chase. You don't have to worry about kind of losing losing your man because you have more number out there. So um, he's good at evading these guys once he picks it off. I think it's a, it's a huge bonus that guys who score consistently with the empty net. Uh, I don't know if Sandstrip was being uh, kind of, um, you know, expanding it just for fun, but he said that Alex Formington has 93 empty net goals in his career. I don't know if he means four years in, in the OHL. That number just seemed absolutely huge. Um, but no, he does score a ton of empty net goals, but, uh, that, that would not hold that against him as a knock at all. Just so much fun to watch these two guys work. And as, as the senators keep, keep going downhill in Ottawa, these Belleville sends first place in the North division right now. Although all the teams are really close. It's going to go right down to the end of the season, but man, are they fun to watch right now? This this Belleville team has been fun to watch for a long time, especially this season. And keeping on uh, the topic of Forrington scoring on empty nets, it may seem like a bit of an easy goal and maybe shouldn't be weighted as as uh, a regular goal because there's no goalie, blah, blah, blah. But you could actually argue that empty net goals are pretty crucial, especially with a Belleville team that uh, at the start of this season, they were involved in a lot of one goal games. And that just puts it away. It puts the icing on the cake, gives you that two goal cushion. And like you said, he's able to do that because he can exploit uh, teams when they have an extra guy on the ice with his incredible speed. So it's no surprise that he gets that many empty net goals. And Ross, what's more fun watching Alex Formton score empty net goals in Belleville and helping them get some wins down in the AHL or watching the San Jose Sharks continue to slip to the bottom in an absolute thriller of a tankathon in this year's uh, season as the Ottawa Senators have their own first round pick and the San Jose Sharks pick. Oh, it makes me so much happier to watch San Jose just keep folding over and over again, shut out by the Colorado Avalanche last night, uh, for nothing. I think that was the final score there. And it is just a complete treat. I don't think they're going to slip any, any lower in the standings, although there are games in hand. Both the LA Kings and Anaheim Ducks are terrible. And uh, they aren't winning any games recently either. But 
there's that there's starting to be a little separation above San Jose as well. If that pick is a top ten pick, that is money. Anything in the top five would would be absolutely incredible. But if you're a Sens fan, you're cheering for that to be a top ten pick. And pff, right now we're getting closer and closer. And San Jose has played. I think they've played forty nine games. They've played more games than uh, most teams in the league. So. Uh, every game they get closer to 82, the Sens, Sens fans should be even more and more intent on watching them and seeing how they're uh, how they're getting a stranglehold here of a 25 to 30 first overall spot. It would just be it would be incredible because it would kind of I mean nothing is going to make trading away Eric Carlson okay. There, there's nothing um, just based on what he meant to the city to the franchise um, everything being Alfie's successor in in almost every other way, but. If you're going to trade him, the fact that we've already spoken about Josh Norris, the fact that it looks like Rudy Balsers is an NHL player, the fact that you've gotten at least two pretty decent years out of both DeMello and Chris Tierney, and then you add a top 10 pick on top of that, and then you're looking at it and you're like, man, usually you want quality over quantity, but what about when quantity is quality? Then, I, I mean, it's hard to, to argue how the Sens fared on that trade but still a long way to go there's still 30 games left and uh anything can happen but these sharks are puttering along and i love watching it and i can't wait till you hit the tankathon button and we can see where that pick lands today well ross you were you were saying you were hoping that san, that san jose pick would be a top 10 there's a 23.3 percent chance it's in the top three and then a 33.9% chance that the Sens pick is a top three pick. So the odds are looking pretty decent that it's going to be better than a top 10. But don't tell me the odds. Let's spin this and see what the results are. First spin coming up. Not a good one. Oh, no. We have the Sens with their own pick picking at five. And then I wish I didn't read those uh, chances so confidently because the Sharks pick is at number eight. Oof. So right. five, hey, five and eight, that's not going to cut it. You're going to have to spin for me too because I'm just on the cell phone today. All right. Here's the second spin. This one, marginally better, but not really. So again, Ottawa with their own pick at pick number five. And then San Jose's pick moves up one slot to pick number seven. So not even one pick in the top three isn't going to cut it. It's crazy because I think this is really showing that anything can happen in the draft lottery. We've done this, I think, five times now and maybe only have two top five picks. <laughs> really, it's, uh, it's, it's really a crapshoot, which, I mean, is probably good for the NHL and kind of makes it so tanking's harder. But you got to think there's some good good karma coming after all that Sens fans have endured. We have to be building up for something, don't we? The hockey gods laughed at the Ottawa Senators franchise for the last couple of years, so it'd be about time that they smiled upon us and gave us at least one pick in the top three and hopefully two picks in top five. So we have that to look forward to coming up to this draft. Next game for the Ottawa Senators are up against... The Calgary Flames at home. So Brady Kachuk, a couple emotional games coming here. And uh, Mark Stone returning. And then his big brother, Matthew, coming into uh, the Canadian Tire Center for an afternoon game on Saturday. But that just about wraps it up for us today. For myself, Brandon Piller, 
for Ross Levitan. This is the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch up with you next week.